0: Hi, I'm Keegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Angry Neighborhood Neighborhood Feminist. Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives.
1: I always forget to say that. Like, there's always
0: a pause. I know. You're like, I'll pick it up. It's fine. I think think we don't know whose turn it is. Yeah. Because for a while there, we were, like, switching off every time. But I think doing the mini episodes has been kind of, like, fucked up our groove.
1: And then also, I'm just kind of like, I'll just let her do it. (laughs) (laughs)
0: and like a lot of times I forget what I'm supposed to say there even though we've said it a million times Yeah. but as usual we are not historians in this episode in particular we're going to be talking about some forgotten uh, feminist favorites of ours who you may not know who history may have forgotten but as always do your own research Yep. Um, look into things yourself and kind of let us know where we messed up because there are a lot of different resources and and we definitely tried to Look at as many as possible, yeah, but there could be some things that we overlooked or misunderstood, yeah, so definitely write to us. Let us know if we if you know something that we don't know, but we yep. hope that you enjoy this episode,
1: so who's going first?
0: I didn't know because it's been so long since we've done an episode like this. So I figured since I know that you and I both always want to go first, yeah, that we should use my handy dandy coin flipper <sighs> app here. <sighs> And sure, and decide.
1: I'm tails. <laughs>
0: Your tails, okay. Tails, you yes! go first.
1: Yes, <laughs> that's what's up. Okay. okay, Madigan gets to go first. I get to go first. Today is my day. <laughs> All right. So I'm not gonna. The way I'm gonna tell this story is that I'm gonna kind of. Because you pro- you guys are probably not going to know who this person is. I don't think, Keegan, I don't think you know who this person is. Okay. You guys are probably not going to know. So I'm going to have you discover who this person is as I go through my notes. Okay. Today, I am going to talk to you all about Carolyn Coston. Okay. Ringing any bells. It probably wouldn't, but I'm just...
0: It sounds vaguely familiar, but that doesn't necessarily mean anything. Right. Okay. Because
1: this is, for me, the reason I chose her, I can say, is because it's in the realm of mental health. Mm -hmm. She is someone that I really look up to and who has personally saved my life in many ways. Okay. So um, she recovered herself from anorexia. Her struggle with her eating disorder began the summer before her senior year of high school when she had a weight loss bet with her friend's father, and that started intense dieting and triggered her tendencies toward perfectionism and compulsiveness. She won the bet, but she kept dieting. This was in 1975, so the information on eating disorders were incredibly limited. Uh, Carolyn had never even heard of the words anorexia or bulimia before, so she really didn't understand that there was something in dieting that could be harmful by any means or the mental side of it. In college, she realized that this dieting was in control of her and not the other way around. She tried to seek help from a guidance counselor, but the therapist had never seen or heard of an eating disorder. The therapist suggested that she eat by herself if she feels uncomfortable eating around others. That seems like the absolute Yikes.
0: wrong thing to that's do. the
1: opposite. But if you didn't know what it was and someone is like, I have extreme anxiety around eating, they're like, Oh, well then eat by yourself because then you won't feel self-conscious. They don't realize that there's something mentally in Yeah, its- I
0: mean I understand that, but I'm also kind of like, as a therapist, and I get that like maybe think they didn't understand this. Back then, but as a therapist, aren't you reinforcing her fear? That's true. By by, you know, because I am such an advocate of like exposure therapy and yeah. feeling like if you're afraid of something, you, that means you probably need to do it like yeah. within the realms of safety. Yeah. So to me, like telling her you're afraid of eating in front of people, so just eat alone. Yeah, that's not sustainable. You and can't eat well, alone forever. It's is so
1: isolating. It's yeah. making things so much worse. And isolating is such a big part of this disease. And so for her to be like. Yeah, just isolate yourself even more. You don't need to be around people. It's fine. Yeah, like, why do you need so, to be around people, especially in college? Like that's such you can so easily just go to your dorm room and be by yourself. It's harder to get out there and like
0: right. See people I mean, and, and as like you know, as we were just saying, like it's so unsustainable. Like you yeah. can't have a social life essentially. Yeah, eating is such a big part of social gathering. It is that if you are eating alone and you're being told that that's the best way to protect your mental health you're never going to go out.
1: Well, and that's a great thing. And we're going to talk more about eating disorders later in this month. But that is a really important thing to remember that, People with eating disorders miss out on a lot of social interaction because so much happens around food. You don't want to put yourself in the case where you'll have to think about food or worry about food. Or try and
0: come up up with a reason why you're not eating. Or slipping
1: off to the bathroom or things like that. There's a lot that goes into it. So as I said, we'll talk about the disease more later on. Um, At this point, she's lost a lot of weight. They use numbers in the website that I found. I don't like to use numbers on how much weight they've lost or what weight they were and things Mm -hmm. like that. A defining moment for her was at a Christmas party. She had promised herself that she would not eat any of the cookies. But there was a healthier part of her mind that told her, if you really want to show that you have power, then go in and eat something. Eat a cookie. She then began to differentiate between her healthy self and her eating disorder self. And this was a breakthrough for her to realize that there were these two parts of her mind that were combating each Mm -hmm. other. There was that part of her that was really unhealthy and was telling her to you know, rely on her eating disorder for things that she probably mentally needed at the time. And then there was a side of her that was like, no, just break through. Just enjoy this Christmas party. Mm -hmm. Eat a damn cookie. Yeah. And so for her, that was something that she has brought with her in years to come. She did not want to gain weight, of course. She was afraid when her weight would go up, and she felt like she was losing herself. This is another thing that is very, very common.
0: Well, yeah, I think that that's so... I just bought a scale for the first time in a long, long time. I never weigh myself. I really never have. But they were on sale and I had been talking to friends of mine who were like, you know, if you, you should, you shouldn't like go long periods without weighing yourself. You should weigh yourself every day. That way you can track it. So I, I got a scale and I was like, okay, let's do this. And I weighed myself and I'm like, okay, that's about what I thought I weighed. And then I weighed myself the next morning at the same time. And I was three pounds heavier and I was like, what? Why? And then I realized you like you start spinning, you start obsessing over something yeah. that really doesn't matter at all. Nope. And I, and okay, just out of curiosity, I weighed myself this morning and I was back to what I was before. So it's just because such an arbitrary, happens. yeah, it's such an arbitrary number. It is that you can make yourself absolutely insane over. Mm-hmm it doesn't matter at all.
1: My whole life was numbers for years and years. And I I don't weigh myself at all anymore. I Mm -hmm. weighed myself for the first time at a doctor's office um, maybe six months ago. I've been out of treatment. I had been out of treatment for four and a half years, almost five years at that time. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I just, because I just, I don't know. I just felt like I could handle it. It didn't feel like something that if I knew the number, I would like freak out. And I didn't. Uh, It was completely not what I thought it would be because I really don't have a concept of weight anymore. Mm -hmm. And um, and I was just kind of like, okay, cool, whatever. For me now, if I step on a scale, which I don't typically, but I have since then, and if it's lower than I think it's going to be, that's when I freak out. Really? Because for me, I know that my brain needs to be nourished so much. My body needs to be at a certain weight because I fears so much to go back to that part of my life that I know that I need to take care of myself. And if I'm below a certain weight, then I need to keep myself on track. Yeah.
0: And again, like we're going to talk about this next week, but I was there with you throughout part of your, you know, journey to get healthy. Yeah. And I know that a big part of that was steadily gaining weight. So there probably is something in your brain about when you stepped on the scale, you wanted to, maybe you didn't want to, but you knew that you needed to gain weight to be healthy. Oh,
1: you freak out. But that's the thing is that when your brain is malnourished, you can't think rationally. That's Mm -hmm. the other part about eating disorders. It's just the biological... Um, normal doctor-like stuff. It's like you just you don't think rationally when you are hungry. Listen to a Snickers commercial, guys. Yeah, it's, it's true, true. It's
0: real. Oh, it's true. You I've, don't
1: think rationally when you're underweight. Your I've brain totally is
0: malnourished. Exploded on, not exploded, but I've definitely found myself being really annoyed with Anthony sometimes. And I'm like, he didn't even do anything yeah. to me. I'm just hungry. Yeah. And I've told him. I've Imagine told him that being before.
1: hungry all the fucking time, ravenously hungry, and then being horrified of your refrigerator, horrified yeah. of your kitchen. Yeah. It is it is turmoil. It's absolutely horrible. So, luckily for her, this is something that she is starting to recognize and she's starting to question. She's not just saying, "Okay, this is how it is." She's starting to realize things about herself. She would argue with that unhealthy self, that unhealthy voice when she would fear when she would feel that fear of gaining weight. She knew to Take weight gain slowly, which is really smart, because some people um, can, like, eating disorders, you can kind of bounce around. You can have anorexia and then be diagnosed with a binge eating disorder, because you just can go from one side to the Mm -hmm. other, because you're so malnourished that then you'll binge Mm -hmm. and get used to binging and then go to the other side, and then maybe you'll throw it up, and then you'll throw some bulimia in there, and it's just a fucking clusterfuck. Hold
0: on. So she's not seeing anybody. No. She's doing this herself. Yes. That's incredible and difficult. So difficult. So,
1: and as I go, you'll start learning about who she is. So she is like, I know I need to gain weight, but I'm not going to gain it too fast because there could be serious health complications and gaining weight. How is
0: she that clear-minded?
1: I don't know. But she's just questioning everything in herself. And she also knows that it could be traumatizing if she gains too much weight too fast, which is true. So... Really, there was just something like she was meant to be this person that she turns out to be. And I really just all of this to me is just fate. Um, She was a junior high teacher Mm -hmm. and she taught for about eight years. She loved her job. And while she was recovering, it was a nice distraction for her to really give herself to her students. Uh, She then began to work as a high school counselor. She went back to school, and she became a licensed therapist while continuing to teach. She left teaching in 1984 and began her private practice. She ran hospital eating disorder treatment centers. She ran two eating disorder support groups, and she treated her first eating disorder patient in 1979, who I believe I know this person. really Because this person was a... uh, she wasn't a therapist, but she would spend the night mm-hmm. at Nito most nights, and then so she would have like the late night snack with us, and then she would eat breakfast with right. us in the morning. And
0: just um, in case you don't know what that is, that is the treatment center that Madigan went to. That we'll talk more about You'll in the know coming more weeks. about yeah, even just in a few minutes maybe. Oh, okay.
1: So, I so I think I I know. This woman—they don't give her name, obviously, but I think I know who they're talking about. So she eventually decided that she didn't want to be in a hospital environment any longer— she observed that individuals with eating disorders are often disconnected with soul and nature and thought a beautiful environment in nature, along with cognitive behavioral therapy, medication, and group therapy, would be an ideal treatment center.
0: Which is really, I mean, that's the cornerstone for most rehab centers. Well, here you go. She opened Montanito, which mm-hmm. means Mountain
1: Nest, in 1996 near her home in Malibu. She is the founder of residential treatment. Mm-hmm. So that's exactly it. She set a precedent for for all of these other places. Um, And even when I was in treatment in Minnesota, they used her books Mm -hmm. as a way of guiding them into how to help us get better. I've always been in a home. I've never been in a hospital setting. Thankfully, I've never had to like get a tube in my stomach. Or yeah, well I like think
0: that. a hospital setting is not conducive to No. If
1: you need medical help, like like physical right. medical
0: help, then yes, but then
1: usually what they'll do is then they'll transfer you to some sort of home. Right. And it it, it makes for such a difference. And this is what her website says. It says, Monsonito offers treatment settings I would have liked to have available to me when I was suffering from my own eating disorder. Located in, be- in beautiful home-like locations which promote tranquility and connection to nature, providing an environment conducive to healing. By disclosing my own recovery, I have attracted numerous qualified, compassionate, and strong, recovered professional staff, as well as excellent staff who do not have an eating disorder. And that's something that I want to... Start to bring up now that she doesn't use the phrase that she's in recovery. She considers herself to be recovered. Mm -hmm. While you are, if you're an alcoholic, they say you're always Always recovering.
0: Yeah. With
1: food, it's a little bit different. You can't just like with drinking. You can quit drinking, right? You can't with an eating eating disorder. You can't stop eating, or you can't just start eating. And it's the lines are really blurry. And that's something for me that I truly feel like. I have been recovered Recovered from. Mm -hmm. I don't feel like this is a daily struggle for me. I feel like my struggles with food and my body are normal societal things that I'm smarter about now. Right. And I'm able to look at, kind of like she did, I'm able to look at myself and question things and move forward. And Carolyn says... I created Montanito as a soul school that will help people learn to take care of their precious quote unquote earth suits. I've always, (laughs) yeah, she's got, she's the raddest. She's so funny. She's so vibrant. Her like vocabulary when talking about stuff is just hilarious. I love her. I have always felt that the universe blessed Montanito with a certain magic, and that fairy dust finds its way into everyone who crosses the threshold. It is an amazing, magnificent, challenging, rewarding, and spiritual soul journey. In 2017, the Carolyn... I said Costner. <laughs> Carolyn Costner. Carolyn a, Costner. Is an Olympic figure skater. Oh, really? Yeah. I was like, who is that? Kevin Costner's wife? No, or? no, no, no. Carolyn Koston, uh She created the Carolyn Coston Institute. And that was treated... That was a... Place created to coach people in how to treat Mm -hmm. eating disorders. Um, She now spends her time directing her treatment centers, not so much anymore. I think this is kind of an outdated website. Speaking and contributing to multiple organizations that support eating disorder treatment and prevention. She coaches therapists, chefs, and recovered individuals who want the skills to help others recover. These skills are not taught in traditional counseling or therapy programs, such as how to eat with clients, taking them grocery shopping, and buying new clothes. That was a big thing because you're cooking in a kitchen mm-hmm. with a chef who is trained. It's not just like a regular chef making you food. This person knows what you're going through, eats meals with you, and makes you really a part of the whole meal creating experience. Uh-huh. Which you can't do right away. <laughs> when you first go in, you are not allowed in the kitchen at all, and then they slowly kind of start integrating you into that part of um, the treatment world. Just trying
0: to develop sustainable skills for what life's going to be like when you get out. Yes, at yeah. first, like you know, there's
1: certain rules where you can't because you know maybe they'll be looking for calories on boxes or maybe they'll be sneaking food. Like doors are locked, things are. You know what I mean? Like it isn't just a right. normal
0: home where you can come in. But and out. because there this addiction um, or this this disorder with food, disordered eating, whether it be like binging or um, restricting food, because it is different from other types of addiction like alcoholism or or drug use where you can't just stop it. They, you
1: have to learn to integrate right. into you it. You have
0: to learn how to be around food and change your relationship with food and yep. learn how to cook and, and do all those things to live your life outside. Yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah. And what's great is you are physically merging that unhealthy and healthy part of you and mentally merging that healthy and unhealthy part mm-hmm. of you and it's all kind of going together and as you go on you know you start doing circuit training and you go on long walks and you do all of these things on how to live a healthy lifestyle she is a big yoga enthusiast mm-hmm. and so she has actually a book actually about um recovery and yoga
0: uh, see, I love yoga. Else. I found yoga to be because I'm not an. I've a, always hated it. Really?
1: Um, I'm I like it now, but I didn't like it then because I didn't like anything that made me stop and feel too attached to my body. And um, yoga was something
0: that like makes you feel everything. But I think that that's that's part of what it, exactly. why it's so helpful. Exactly. It Especially like because for me, like I do not like working out. Yeah. But yoga. For me, and look, we can get into, and we'll get into all of the things that are potentially problematic about the Westernization of yoga practices. Yes. Um. But for me, yoga totally helped me feel connected spiritually and mentally. Yep. And so it didn't just feel like a workout; it felt yes. like uh, it felt like mentally overcoming something. When you're in pain and holding a position, and yes. like having to mentally work that out inside yourself is is really awesome and cool.
1: I agree. Yeah, and that was something that for me for a lot of my recovery was I just felt so uncomfortable with and it was really difficult. She is a board member of the International Association of Eating Disorder Association.
0: I say the same thing. I can wow. never say association.
1: God. I said another word earlier, kind of funny too, and I don't remember what it was. Sorry. Of the International Association, God, I've never had an issue with that word, of eating disorder professionals, a board member of Dads and Daughter, and a fellow of the Academy of Eating Disorders. What's Dads and Daughter? I don't know that much about it, but I remember hearing about it. I think it's connecting because a lot of times, like, there's a lot of issues between moms and daughters and eating disorders, and there's a lot of issues between dads and daughters, and dads oftentimes
0: feel... Um, out of place when discussing things like right. that like maybe they can't well because you don't know what it's like to be under the same kind of societal pressures that girls are, are right. under and
1: even when there are because I, I've met a lot of men with eating disorders and even then it's something that because that be of even society would I exactly, think for, for men to deal with exactly so it's a way of um, creating a better relationship between dads and daughters from what I can remember I'm probably talking out my ass right now Her advocacy work continues in many areas, including organizations such as Project Heal, Eating Disorder Hope, and the Eating Disorder Coalition. She has written many books in multiple different languages, including Yoga and Eating Disorders, Ancient Healing for for a Modern Illness, Eight Keys to Recovery from an Eating Disorder. Read it. It's amazing. (laughs) The Eight Keys Workbook, Your Dieting Daughter, which is Antidotes Parents Can Provide for Body Dissatisfaction, Excessive Dieting, and Disordered Eating. My mom read that book. Mm -hmm. The Eating Disorders Sourcebook. There's a first and second edition and 100 questions about eating disorders. So she is like, she really is kind of the founder of eating disorder treatment. She is the founder of eating disorder treatment. And so she's written all these books for people all over the world. She travels all over the world. She's opened so many different centers and is really so personally attached to all of them mm-hmm. to make sure that they are exactly how she wants them to be and that her practices are continuing. That's and- really
0: inspiring <laughs> because the amount of like she's literally dedicated her entire life to yes. this. Yes. Yeah. It's been something that's kind of been like a pro- like a, a passion project for her entire life it's her life's calling it's and her that's life's what work i'm
1: saying when when her mind was coming up with these things and noticing these things about herself it was fate it was just like she had to go through that thing just to be able to help millions and millions of other people yeah. people when i was at montanito came from all over the world i had canadian residents i had residents from england residents from australia from New York, yeah, from I, Texas, like I think everywhere. Every
0: now and again, there is just kind of like this perfect melding of there being a situation that doesn't have a solution, and it finds this perfect person who who is searching for that solution, finds that solution within themselves, and says like, no one else has to go through what I went through, and yep. is going to create something really beautiful. Yeah, and that's what happened here. I mean, like there were no resources, no, for none. this for this issue, and she had to like. I don't want to say she had to suffer, but she had to, like, she, deal with not having any resources. I
1: mean, I mean, she did suffer. She suffered like the rest of us. And then she was able to just notice the things that she was suffering with and be like, there has to be a way out of this. You know what right. I mean? Which and I never would have done
0: by myself. She figured that out on her own, which is crazy. It's crazy. Anytime you're dealing with any kind of mental illness, I say the same thing. I would say the same thing about any person who's managed to recover from extreme drug addiction on their own. Yeah. That is... It, it's
1: it's I mean, drug addiction, too, because there's so many Physical other Physical dependence like, and, it's just, and all of that.
0: Bad. It's amazing if you are able to, like, work your way out of that if yeah. you don't have any resources. Yeah. Now, fortunately, there are so many resources. Exactly. In the past, there really weren't. And so this is incredible that she was yeah. able to do that. And then not only said, like, well, I'm better, so I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. But was like, I'm going to help other people who also have this issue and d- yeah. dedicate my life and to it. And she
1: has inspired others to continue that. And yeah. she is a person that inspires me to continue advocacy, which is why I don't pretend that I didn't have an eating disorder. Right. I don't like to hide away from the things that have hurt me in the past. Mm-hmm. I'm very open about those things, not only for myself and my own health, but because it doesn't do anybody else any favors for me being quiet.
0: Yeah.
1: And um, she is and I- just the most amazing woman. Yeah. Like you meet her and you want her to notice you. She's one of those people that you walk into a room and you just want her to... She's a radiance. Look at you. She yeah. does. And she's so about... Her big thing is all about being your authentic self. Mm-hmm. And she is so her authentic self. And she makes others around her just be free to be who they are. Like, we went to the beach during a, like, alumni, like, retreat. And she and um, another woman, Anna Kowalski, who I love, who was a big mentor of mine, was, like feel like don't worry about your bodies today when you're in a swimsuit just have fun do the things that you want to do love yourself the hardest thing because you see these people that are all shapes and sizes who are the therapists and people that work there who are just so have such radical Mm self-love that you're just like why on earth would i feel badly about myself Mm -hmm. when these people are just like ah fuck it like it's I, also,
0: I love it so much that you chose this particular person to be your, you know, feminist fave of the week this week, because I think it's really important. I remember when we first started doing the podcast, we got a message from someone who said, Do you consider mental health to be part of feminism? She
1: was my roommate, actually my first roommate at Montanito. And it's
0: absolutely unequivocally unequivocally. Absolutely unequivocally, yes, yes. is the answer to that. Um mental health is is such a huge part of, like, who we are and a huge part of just, like, being uh, a healthy person. And it's so directly tied to societal issues of body body shaming and, and mm-hmm. body issues that uh, this particular mental health disorder, that it's yes. so important to talk about that. Yes. And I feel like just because maybe she hasn't come out and been like, I'm a feminist and I'm going to, like, do things that are... Overtly oh, if you were to ask pro- her, she'd
1: be like, yeah, I'm a feminist,
0: yeah. like, duh. <laughs> right, but, like, in the public eye, she's yeah. not like, I'm an overtly... Yes. I'm a femi- like overtly feminist person, yes. but she still belongs in this category, and I think totally. more people need to know about her. So I love that she's your forgotten feminist babe. Yeah, you know?
1: I wanted to do somebody that was a little bit different yes. and that people I love didn't that. know about and could read more about and learn more about. I mean, there's not a whole lot out there. You know, there's just a few articles and she's written books and watch a video of her talking. Like you'll just feel warm and. Um, To see her staff talk about her, God. too, it's just great. I'm so
0: in awe of people like that who just have that radiance. Yeah. Because I truly believe that that is something that you're born with. Yes. This kind of, like, it factor that draws people to you and allows you to be charismatic. She would have and...
1: made a really good cult leader. Yeah, I
0: was going to say. <laughs> well, I
1: gonna... As I was saying it, I was like, this seems so no, culty. I mean,
0: I, I was going to say, like, I think so often it can go either way. Yeah. Like, when I did my Myers-Briggs test to, like, yeah. be- figure out who I am, I'm an ENFT I'm an ENFP. I don't remember my Um, But I, there's always, like, they always give you a list of, like, here are the people who have done amazing things that are, like, y- your personality type. And then also the ways in which your personality traits could easily, like, sway the other way. Yes. And whatever personality type she is, I could totally see it being, like, either you're going to be... A inspiring speaker, or you could be a dictator or a cult leader, you know what I mean, because you you can so easily sway people to your side.
1: Exactly, yeah. She just has a way about her that's amazing. So I am going to leave you today with Carolyn's definition of recovered, and this is something, and I tell people this all the time when it comes to her books and the things that she says, because all of us at some point in in our lives, man, woman, old, young, anybody, has felt shame in themselves shame in their bodies wanted to fix something about themselves mm-hmm. and i feel like her definition of recovered is something that everybody can listen to and take and remember so here it is the person can accept his or her natural body size and shape and no longer has self-destructive or unnatural relationship with food or exercise when you are recovered you do not use eating disorder behaviors to deal with distract from or cope with other problems when recovered, you will not compromise your health or betray your soul to look a certain way, wear a certain size, or reach a certain number on the scale. And this was something, so when I graduated from Montanito, you kind of write like a statement of promises to yourself and to others of what you're going to do to change your life. And I kind of took this uh, definition and melded it into my own um, rules for Mm -hmm. myself, and I wasn't able to dig it up quite so quickly that I could read it on this episode, but I'm going to get all of my old—I actually threw out a lot of old diaries, Mm -hmm. but I have some stuff saved. I'm going to get a lot of diary entries and photos and um, other, like, memorabilia to kind of jog my memory, and uh, definitely going to read you guys my statement that I made for myself next week, and I hope this was a good introduction of what I've been through, um, and— a good introduction to the kind of world that I hope we can all live in one day.
0: I hope so, too. But, you know, when listening to that statement, I I feel like, and again, I know we've said it like a million times, we're going to go into this next week, but I feel like there aren't a lot of people who would say that they've had an eating disorder or even struggled with disordered eating. But I can't think of a single person in my life who doesn't do that. yep, do that. like what, what she why... was saying as far as like including myself, i I struggle to love my body every single day,, yep. and I know that people will sometimes because i am I am small. I think that sometimes people will not understand Well, people will
1: push you aside and not take what you say seriously. Right. They're just
0: like, you don't have to worry about anything like you're not... And
1: that's what people still say to me all the time. But
0: it doesn't matter because you're living in your body and there are still things that you're going to see about your body that Mm -hmm. you don't like. Yep. And and it's really, really hard because we've been brought up in a society that tells you... um, That there can always be changes. That you can always be better. You can always be better. So it's really, really, really hard to put that aside uh-huh. and to not focus on, oh, well, I, I just need to get rid of the cellulite and then I think I'm going to be beautiful. Because or you're I never going to be. You're never, ever going to attain that. You're never going to be your ideal
1: whatever of beauty in your head because it's constantly going to change, One. And and you're constantly changing. You're constantly changing. And the thing is, is I had such an idea in my head that I wanted to be young forever. I had they would be like, you're like Peter Pan. You know, I just had Mm -hmm. this thing in my head. And I had to learn that my womanly shape and its constant changes are enough. I don't have to worry about my food intake or about anything else as long as my mind is healthy my body will follow suit and i am going to be taken care of no matter what yeah whether agreed. i've lost weight gained weight whatever you go through different times in your life and you change constantly and there's nothing wrong with the 100 natural state of your body agreed if yeah. you want to exercise and your body changes because of that that's fine but make sure that the reason you're doing it is for healthy soulful self-love reasons, yeah, not punishment.
0: Yeah, that's that is hard. so important. And it's
1: hard. It is so, so, so hard. It is. And that's the whole point. This is, like, life is not supposed to be easy, whatever. Mm-hmm. Life, I believe we are here to overcome challenges, to learn more about ourselves, to teach others things. And I feel like I've gone through the things that I've gone through because I have, a story Mm -hmm. and a voice and something and I have something about me that thinks differently than other people because of it. Yeah, And I want others to feel that same self-love that I don't feel every day. I am not perfect, but I want people to have that vocabulary in their mind, to have the skills that they need. Mm -hmm. So when they are having those moments to know that what they're feeling is normal Yeah. And that there is a way out. That's just, that's not normal. That's not how we're just meant to think. This is a societal thing. And so I hope one day, I think that eating disorders are 100% preventable. They don't need to be here. They don't need to be around. Yeah. And that's what I am working toward. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's
0: awesome. I'm that done is. with my rant. <laughs> no, I love it. I love it. I think that was perfect. And thank you so much for introducing this person to us. I hope if you are... Um, struggling with an eating disorder both this episode and next episode we will link resources in yes. our show notes i
1: will also link the montanito website and ways to get a hold of montanito because they are a very accessible group mm-hmm. and there are so many different branches and so many different people that you can talk to and i've i've been to many treatment centers i have friends that have been to many treatment centers this is one of a kind yeah truly one yeah. of a kind so
0: awesome. Yeah. Um, well, we're gonna take a quick break because I've had a lot of champagne. So I need more. I need to take a break real quick. <laughs> okay. Um, but then we will be right back with my forgotten feminist fave. Oh my god, Keegan. Yes. Who are you gonna tell me about? All right. Let me talk. Um and guys, if you're wondering, Man, it feels like Hegan's been sick for a really long time. It feels like she sounds like a pack a day jazz singer. It's and, because
1: all of that is true. And
0: has. Yeah, it's because secretly, I, you know, secretly all night, every night at the jazz clubs, smoking, smoking sick. You should.
1: I mean, not smoke cigs, but, like, go to the jazz clubs and, like, sing and, like, have your I life. would, but
0: I'd be so freaking tired all the time. But, yeah, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why I, I might permanently sound like this. Dude,
1: I'm still battling it, too. It's horrible. I'm still coughing shit up. I am still stuffy. I'm still waking up in the middle of the night. Like, I feel better, but I don't. Like completely feel feel better, better yeah.
0: I'm I'm really ready. Like I've had people be like, "Oh, your voice is so sexy I mean, now," it's and I'm sexy. like, "But guys, I'm so tired of this. I'm I can't so tired sing. of this.
1: I can't sing. I can't even like. I can't rock out in my car without being like."
0: <coughs> no, I turn down a, um, opportunity to go to karaoke last night. I never do that. But I was just like, I literally can't. I literally can't. She
1: karaoke's at home with her boyfriend. I do.
0: And I I don't do that anymore either. It's a love. Until I get better. Yeah. Anyway. Okay. So we are going to talk about, and this is someone I know you know about, you know a little bit about her at least, Sophie Scholl. Yes. So, Little bits. If you don't know about Sophie Scholl, she is so badass. You may have seen some things kind of being shared on Facebook. I think a while ago, people were sharing things about her on Facebook, and she looks, it's so she has such a joyful face and she looks so modern when you look at pictures of her. Um, because she had kind of this like shorter haircut in the in the nineteen forties. Well, um, Sophie Scholl was part of the resistance against the Nazis. She was a German oh my girl. God, I'm so
1: excited. Like I I knew I knew the name and I just googled her and saw her picture and I was like, Yes! Yes, yes. I want to know all about this woman. Start me up.
0: Hon- honestly, like Okay, so most of this stuff I got from Timeline, uh, which is a magazine, and then I also got from a old, old, old episode of Stuff You Missed in History class, uh, which is a podcast if you're interested in history. It's a really good podcast. And they were talking about the White Rose, which was a resistance group of university students in Germany. They're German students. So Sophie Magdalena Scholl was born on May 9th, 1921. And before I really get into her involvement with the White Rose movement, um, I want to give a little bit of background about what it was like to live in Nazi Germany at this time, because I really think it sets the scene for what they did and how amazing what they did was. So during the Nazi totalitarian regime, um, indoctrination started in preschool where children were encouraged to denounce their own parents or yeah. family members Hitler for making, Youth. yeah, and she was a member of Hitler Youth because you had
1: to be. You, you had to choice. be.
0: Um, well, I mean, she believed in it though because it was like indoctrination began so young. Yes, you don't have a
1: choice. Yeah,
0: that um, you know people were encouraged to denounce their own parents, family members for making derogatory comments about Hitler or the Reich. As a child, she was a member of the girls' branch of Hitler Youth. And, you know, again, that was super, super standard. Boys tended to join a group called German Young People at the age of 10. After they've been investigated for racial purity, they would be allowed to join German Young People.
1: Please, I want someone to make sure that Hitler had no, quote-unquote, racial impurities oh, he and sh- get back to he me. He
0: for sure did. Yeah. Like, he was part Jewish, like, like without question.
1: Like, fucking... On. Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, with, I could talk about question. this shit. You know my love for like World oh, War II. Oh, you're two, gonna love things. this. Like I could talk about this shit all day. Yeah, let's do. You're this. gonna love
0: this. Then uh, boys would go on. So they would join the German young people at ten. They'd go on to join Hitler Youth at thirteen, and then there was mandatory service in the Nazi Party at eighteen. Y- mm-hmm. You either had to serve in the armed forces or labor details. What's interesting about the Scholl kids is that Sophie's father was an avowed anti-Nazi. Like, there was a, um, at one point, he was walking with his children, like, along the river, and he, he turned around and told his kids, all I want is for you to walk straight and free through life, even when it's hard. He was, he was completely and anti- And how are
1: they able, like, how are they so pro-Nazi?
0: Be- because then? they were in, because it started so young. I mean, in like, elementary school in kindergarten or whatever their equivalent was. Yeah, but you'd was. still think
1: that their dad would be like, "Nah,
0: uh Yeah, but I think it's so deeply ingrained in their societal culture. That's
1: true. I'm not blaming the dad. I'm just... No, saying.
0: no, of course. Like, yeah. it was so deeply ingrained in their societal culture that it's very difficult to combat that when that's what you're getting all day, every day at school. And probably they saw their dad as kind of, like, the enemy mm-hmm. because they'd been trained to, if your parents say things like that, to report them. Mm-hmm. You know, so... You know, they were members of—both of the Scholl kids who later went on to join the White Rose were members of, um, you know, Hitler youth. Yeah. So, in addition to the indoctrination by the Nazi party— each block also had a spy that would keep track of conversations that would be considered uh, damaging to the Reich. I like consummered. Consimmered. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like like I we're cooking a, a meal of persimmons. Anyway, um, when Sophie was in high school, her father was arrested when he was overheard by his employer calling Hitler the scourge of humanity. So he was arrested. Mm-hmm. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. Um, so the Gestapo just, like, obviously they very closely monitored German citizens. Like, you could be executed just for listening to Radio London. Like, that's how serious this was. Yeah. So this is the environment that we are finding ourselves in. So, I mean, it was really nearly impossible to go against the, the Nazi regime to the point where, like, you were being so closely monitored that even if you gathered in large groups— People would take notice of that. Yeah. You could have a spy in your midst. Like, it was a, a very big deal.
1: Yeah, because groups are dangerous.
0: Yeah. safety are... in numbers, guys. Right. Like, yeah. I mean, and that was really the only way to try and go up against the Nazi party or try and overthrow anything was to get a large enough group of people together. And you could never do that because you were constantly being watched. Um, so... During this time in Munich a group of students got together and they formed this party called the White Rose which was a resistance movement of university students, angsty teenagers, people in their early 20s who as we know are the most likely to be the most protesty group of people. Yes. Um they they got together because they were like serving in the Nazi party. Most of these were medical students so they were serving as medics and they saw a lot of the atrocities that were being committed, um, especially against, you know, Jewish people. And for a lot of these people, it was very personal for them. It was like Sophie had a friend who, when she joined not uh, Hitler Youth back in like the 1930s, she joined Hitler Youth and she wanted her friend to join with her and her friend could not join because she was Jewish. Yeah. And that, so those little things started like chipping away at her yeah. as far as like she knew that they were very... Um, she she knew that she didn't feel
1: she wasn't one hundred percent
0: right about it. So in um, June of nineteen forty two, Sophie was sitting in a lecture hall at the University of Munich when she noticed a slip of paper underneath her desk. She picked it up and began to read, and it said. Who among us has any conception of the dimensions of shame that will befall us and our children when one day the veil has fallen from our eyes and the most horrible crimes, crimes that infinitely outdistance every human measure, reach the light of day? So, it's so weird because as
1: you said that,
0: I'm picturing a
1: college room in today's day and age uh and about all of the horrible things that are happening all around the world today and like, especially with like, I think of Syrian refugees mm-hmm. a lot as being a very similar
0: right thing. And like, you want to be on the right side of history. You want to be
1: on the right side, and then people. But yet, yeah, people are so many people are ignoring it.
0: Right. I'm just picturing that whole like, what would happen right. today, and, and all magnify those that by like ten thousand because
1: because yeah. this was happening all over the world.
0: R- right, and well and for her finding that slip of paper. This is like obviously an- anti um, Nazi. Um, pamphlet, you know, she found it. And if she didn't turn it in, that was a jailable offense. Yes, So she was faced with kind of like this decision of like, I don't know what to do. So she took it. She took the pamphlet. She put it in her backpack and she didn't say anything to anyone. And she went to her brother Hans's apartment and she, he wasn't there, so she kind of like sat down to, to wait for him to arrive, and she noticed a book of poetry by Friedrich Schiller, who's a, a German poet, and she was just like flipping through this poetry book, waiting for her brother to arrive, and she notices that there's a page that's covered with marks all over it, and she finds a pas- the passage that was in the leaflet, she finds it in this book underlined. Yes. So she knew... <laughs> I just got, like, too excited. You're good. You're good. (laughs) God bless you. So she knew that her brother had to be involved. Yes. In in whatever this was. But it terrified her because that is such a scary thing because any of this could be an executable offense. Yeah. So she was really scared. He arrived, and at first she kind of, like, confronted him about it. He was kind of like, no, 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 like, tried to, like, talk his way out of it. But then other friends arrived who were also members of the White Rose, and at this point, she got to talking with them, and she begged her brother to be involved. Like, she wanted to be involved. Did
1: she tell him about the pamphlet?
0: Yeah, she, that's, that's how she confronted him, because she was like, I found this pamphlet. You have this, like, un, like, underlined in your book, what the hell is going on here? So, so. That
1: he, could have gone so so badly. Wrong. Like, what if you had
0: a sister who was like, "I'm going to turn you in"? You know, yes, because
1: that's the thing is that you're taught that it's it's it's, it's
0: brother against sister, it's it's parent against yes, child. Like
1: this goes past <clears throat> blood. It reminds me of Divergent. I don't remember the oh faction over yeah blood, they would yeah say. yeah yeah yeah.
0: Um. So he basically finally yielded and was like, fine, you can be part of the White Rose. And from that moment on, she was like super involved. And here's like a a fun fact. So this is before Sophie was involved, but still a, a really like cool fact. So Hans was one of the founding members, essentially, of the White Rose. And he was one of two people who began creating these leaflets and pamphlets. And so he would type them out on a typewriter. And the very first leaflet read... Nothing is so unworthy of a citizen than allowing itself to be governed by an irresponsible clique that has yielded to base instinct. It is certain that today every honest German is ashamed of his government. And they created, this was the very first leaflet, they made 100 of them, and just to kind of show you what kind of state they were living in, 35 of those were directly turned into the Gestapo. So 35 of the people who found those, and especially because this was also extremely dangerous because they were mailing these leaflets out in yeah. the beginning, and paper was a very limited resource. So anyone yeah. buying mass quantities of paper or postage... It was like a red flag. Right, it was like a red flag, like people would be looking at you. So that was that was incredible. Um So then they, she started participating with them, distributing leaflets, um, and And graffitiing the city. so She was? They all were. Oh, awesome. Every member of, like, the White Rose was involved in some aspect of this. So she would graffiti, they would graffiti things that said, like, down with Hitler, Hitler the mass murderer, or freedom, like, across buildings all throughout uh, throughout Germany. And, like, these people didn't have to do this. Like, they were Germans, they were safe. Yeah. You know, they were from essentially purebred Pure blood German families. Yeah, um, they didn't have to put themselves in this kind of danger. Yeah, but they did. And so you know, there's often like a lot of debate about how much the average German citizen really knew about like what was going on, the atrocities yeah, that if were they going were on.
1: All kind of complicit, to right? The tragedy. Yeah. And
0: judging by this, I would say kind of yes, because they knew. Like these these students knew. Mm-hmm. You know, Sophie says that she had heard a lot of this sort of like rhetoric literally preached from the pulpit when she would go to yeah, church Yeah, and for Hans or for the men you know they were forced to be a part of the the Nazi party so they indirectly they, they
1: all want you to think the same and way and they saw it they yeah. saw it
0: like they saw like Jews being mistreated regularly so it's not as if the average german citizen didn't have some conception yeah. of of what was going on um so by November of 1942 Sophie was a full-time member of the White Rose and the group decided to bring in one of their professors a man named Kurt Huber to help them edit drafts of the flyers and um, he would even he even rejected one for being too communist which I just love that <laughs> I love that idea of like an older professor kind of like You got these like hot, fiery young people coming in with all these ideas and And he's he's still
1: like no. He's like, Hold your horses,
0: we're gonna do this, but like he's mentoring them. We're gonna do this right. Yeah, he's mentoring them. Make
1: sure and also because they were raised in a certain way, it's kind of like being raised in a very racist America. Yeah. Where you can say things where you're not meaning them to be racist, but it's kind of racist. Yeah, so he's
0: tempering. Kind yeah, of exactly. The they're they're like, No,
1: you don't understand. Here's the education behind it. What you're saying is messed up. Even and, if it even if it's well intentioned. Yeah.
0: And I think it's also important for me to note that They were all incredibly patriotic. Like, they loved being German. They thought that what they were doing, rightfully so, was for the betterment of Germany. Exactly. And that's
1: how we feel about the U.S. Right. Like,
0: it wasn't like... It was very much framed by loyalists to the Nazi party as if they were aligning themselves with the allied forces. And, you know anti Germany. Like it which was. Anti- I understand,
1: but no, it's it's incredibly right. patriotic because they want to make their people, their country better.
0: Right. They didn't want Germany to go down in the history books as being this racist, mm-hmm. like which it did for a long time. <laughs> yeah. They're still grappling with that past. Yes. They still are grappling with it that past. It hasn't
1: been that long. Right. Right. So, like,
0: so they that's not what they wanted. They wanted and I think they also really wanted people to know that like this is not what germans are like like Mm -hmm. not all of us like we feel trapped in this situation because we're scared Mm -hmm. but we want people to know that like they wanted to rouse other kind of apathetic germans who were afraid into action like that's that was their their hope here um so, at the end of it, they ended up publishing six leaflets between 1942 and 1943. Four were published under the White Rose, and then two, the later two, were pub- published under Leaflets of the Resistance. So, it seems like they were kind of trying to, like, change their name, sort of, like, moving yeah. it into Leaflets of the Resistance. Well, yeah,
1: because White Rose can be very inconspicuous. You know, right. You don't and then really they, know what it means, and then as they're kind of gaining traction, it's like, no, we can let people know what yeah, we mean. Yeah, this
0: is, this is who we are. Yeah. So their sixth leaflet would be their last leaflet um and that one came out right after the defeat at stalingrad when a lot of germans were killed um so this is an expert an excerpt an excerpt from the sixth leaflet shaken and broken our people behold the loss of the men of stalingrad 330,000 German men have been senselessly and irresponsibly driven to death and destruction by the inspired strategy of our World War I private class Fuhrer. We thank you. Um, and then all over the leaflet, like, like over and over on the leaflet, they wrote, For us, there is but one slogan, fight against the party. <laughs> so they were just like fists in the air fighting the Nazi party. So Hans and Sophie were tasked with distributing these leaflets. So they went um, and they distributed them in classrooms, kind of like the same way she had found hers, like under desks and things like that. Yeah. And then they found themselves with a bunch of leftover leaflets. And Sophie was like, well, fuck this. She dumped all the leaflets over a balcony into the main courtyard. So she poured them all out. Like as students were coming out, it yeah. was just raining yeah. these like leaflets. Like
1: every nineties rom com. Yeah, exactly. But there's a house party, but
0: magnify the danger by, by a million, a
1: million thousand hundred. This is how the little kid that I nanny for says numbers. Um. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so um, they did that, and then they got the fuck out of there, right? Yeah. And um, but what had happened? What had happened was a janitor saw them do this. And reported them directly to the Gestapo. So um, Hans and Sophie and then this guy named uh, Christoph Probst Probst, who had – Hans had – he was barely involved in the White Rose. He was, but not like – Hans or the other guy? uh, Christoph. Got it. Yeah. He was not highly involved in the White Rose, but he had – but Hans had had a – leaflet in his pocket that had his name on it Ooh. that said that he was going to be like helping them with the next like yeah. whatever they were doing. Yeah. So, so he was just
1: kind of like a newcomer maybe. Kind
0: of yes. Yeah. After Staling I think he joined after Stalingrad when he saw that all that stuff went oh, down. Man. So he he was taken in too. So yeah. Hans, Sophie and Christoph were all arrested and then Sophie was interrogated for 17 hours straight. Such bullshit. Straight 17 hours and when she w- actually like went into court, she was limping. So you can only imagine what hey, happened girl. during that 17 I hours. I mean,
1: look at any interrogation tape or list, or like research any true crime stuff. Like interrogations are the fucking worst. Especially like, back then are when are you down and especially
0: back then when there were one literally even in the United States. No protocol for how yeah. you would treat people who were suspects. Because they were criminals,
1: there was no like, or you assumed human that they were kind of, exactly. Even if they weren't criminals, in their in their minds, they were like, well, they should be treated as such. And
0: two, we're talking Nazi Germany, so yeah. we're also oh. talking talking like they consider you a threat to the Reich and yep. and a traitor, yep. and so no mercy. So yeah, she ended up. It was like a couple. So they were taken into custody on the eighteenth of February, nineteen forty three. And then it was three days later that they were put on trial. So she walks into trial on um, February uh, 22nd, and the judge was not sympathetic, obviously. He he was disgusted that these three young German kids, like, all, like, whole-bred German kids did this. You know, he was very pro-Nazi. And so Sophie speaks out of turn to the judge when he is kind of, like, reprimanding them and said, somebody, after all, had to make a start. What we wrote and said is also believed by many others. They just don't dare express themselves as we did. And later actually says to the judge, you know the war is lost. Why don't you have the courage to face it? Ugh! Yeah. Sophie! And I want to say she's a 21-year-old girl. Sophie! who just really, in the face of these... Because I mean, at this point, you know, you know, like this guy, your fate is in the hands of this judge. And
1: she's like, I'm going down. I'm going to fucking go down with a fight and with power.
0: Right. She knows she's going to be executed, essentially. Oh. So she's just like, I'm going to say whatever I want.
1: Keegan, this is the best story. She's in the amazing. World. This is the
0: best story <laughs> in the world. Keep Thank going. You. She's amazing. So the Shoal parents found out what happened. Obviously, this two of their children. Yeah. And they tried to get in to the trial and they were like forcibly kept away and um, at one point one of the guards actually said to the mother that you should have brought up your children better mm. and the dad actually managed to push his way in before he was like pulled out. Yeah. And he was shouting one day there will be another kind of justice. One day they will go down in history.
1: Yes. I'm sorry if that was loud but yes. yes. One hundred I know it gives me goosebumps.
0: Yes. It gives me chills. Oh, And but poor Christoph, Christoph, Christoph. he was a husband with three children no. and his wife was still in the hospital from having their last child no, he please. tried to say that he was suffering from um like like d- delusion or hysteria yeah. from having been at Stalingrad and then from his wife having a very difficult labor like she'd yeah. been in the hospital for some time so he was trying to save his life by uh-huh. saying that he didn't know what he was doing but his family didn't because his wife was still in the <sighs> hospital they didn't even know he'd been arrested no. so At this point, um, the judge uh, finds them guilty immediately. They were executed the same day that they went into trial. Like, hours after they went into trial, they were executed pretty much immediately. And um, poor Christoph never got to see his family before he was executed. Oh, my God. Sophie was executed first, followed by Hans. (sighs) And when Hans was executed, he shouted, um, long live freedom. They were executed by guillotine. That's what I was going to ask. Which is horrific. That's but,
1: such a display. Right. That's not a private. They're making a statement. That is a right.
0: huge. Yeah.
1: This is like handmaid's. Yeah, they, they're making huge statement. Like, look what we will do to you, right? If you defy I mean, us. And, and that
0: was further proved by the fact that after they were um, executed, they actually had a pro-Nazi rally at the University of Munich to drive home the point that like you guys can't resist us. To and they gave a standing ovation to the janitor who turned them in. Um, but I, I do want to kind of close this with saying that, um, so Sophie was the first to be executed. They did allow her to allow Hans and Sophie to meet with their parents one last time before they were executed and allowed the three of them, the two of them and Kristoff to meet one last time before they were executed. And, but these were. Can you um, imagine
1: feeling like knowing that you, these are your last moments. Yeah,
0: I can't imagine Like, I can't imagine. Like, with
1: all of those things that you want to say to those people, and like, it's one thing to die unexpectedly, it's another thing to know that, like, I am in full good health right now, and I'm you're 21, yeah, and I am. So like she is probably so proud of herself. I hope she was so proud yes. of herself. Yes. And just saying, I just say I am you know, probably apologizing to her parents for how it all turned out because it's like I'm sorry that I'm leaving you, but I'm not sorry but for her, what I did. Her parents,
0: because of who they were, I think there was such a mingle of of heartbreak, of course, but also pride. That's
1: what but yeah, but I mean but still apologizing that I have to go.
0: Yeah. You know okay. What I mean? Yes. And like to to wrap this up, these were her final words. Whenever she was she was led to the guillotine, was, just picture it. Okay. I want everyone to picture it. She's this kind of like feisty twenty one year old girl in a situation that would scare the shit out of anybody. And she's being led to the guillotine. She's getting ready to be executed. And these are her final words. Such a fine sunny day and I have to go. But what does my death matter? If through us, thousands of people are awakened and stirred to action. Those were her final words before she was executed. Sophie. And it just feels, for her to start it off with such a fine, sunny day. Like, she was so, there's almost this sense of calm in knowing that what she did was, I want to cry thinking about it. No, but like, I'm,
1: I'm welling up right now I'm trying not to cry again for what, the second episode in a
0: row. What she did, she, she knows that what she did was the right thing. And that she fought for other people when she really didn't have to. It's not yeah. like she was put in a situation where, like, her life was directly threatened. In fact, she put her life at risk. She did. To to stand up for other people and to say, like, we know this isn't right and we're going to stand up for what's right. Yeah. And I think it was it's an illustration of how at peace she was with yeah. her decision. I mean, and even for her brother, who I'm sure was terrified for his last words to be long live freedom, it's they 're at peace with what they 've done, yes. like they don 't want to die, no one wants to die, but it 's like I died in service of of others, and when she actually says like you know she actually says, "What is my death? If it means that like it will serve other people mm-hmm. or other people might be awakened to this and other like apathetic Germans who are sitting by the sidelines and watching this these horrific things happen, like look at your government, take a close look at your government who's executing." Essentially, children are people who are very young adults, yeah, you know, for nothing more than having a different belief, a different belief and opinion. So I, and I was surprised because I, I listened to an episode of of stuff you missed in history class where they talked about the white white rose movement, and I was like, how have I never heard of this before? I know because I think, and rightly so, in many ways, Germans have gotten a really bad rap for yes. the way that that all of that went down and for not standing up against the Nazis. Well, and by probably
1: mentioning the White Rose, people are probably like, well, why are you siding with the Germans?
0: Right, but like it's before just like, now. you have to understand that a country is made up of many, 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 many people. Yeah. And not all of those people were complicit or wanted to be and did try to do the right thing. And I cannot imagine, not just Sophie and Hans, but every member of the White Rose how brave and after sophie and hans were executed actually other members of the white rose were executed in the in the following years after that they were found and executed as well but sophie just to me is such a feminist icon not just a feminist icon but just a a historical badass lady of history who went in and unapologetically was just like i i know that what i did was right and let the chips fall where they may, kind yeah. of, you know, which is so freaking beautiful. So that's mine.
1: <laughs> Keegan, that was the best story ever.
0: Thank you. Seriously. It. I, I remember the first time I heard about the white rose, and I'm like, this is the most inspiring thing. Yeah. Why haven't we heard more yes, about this? And I
1: remember sending you being like, you've heard of this person, right? And yeah. You're, and you're like, yeah. Oh my gosh, I want to know more. And me being like, I want to know more too. Yeah. So thank you for doing that you're story. You're welcome. And honestly, I, that was the. I. I'm so glad I didn't go first because I could not have followed that. There's no way. Oh,
0: thanks. That oh was my god, so good. it it was. I'm I'm so happy that we did this episode. You know, I love my my book report episodes. I love doing stuff like this. Me and- too.
1: Why don't we just become a book report podcast? I don't Kagan? know. It's too
0: far gone now. I know.
1: No, I like I like our <laughs> other episodes too. <laughs> me but too. I love these episodes so much because I learn so much and it's it's brought me closer to so many other women from my past. Agreed. I wear my Audrey Lord bag every I day. Know. That's my purse now. <laughs> (laughs) I wear it because I need, I carry lots of shit with me. And I did not know who that was before this podcast, and she is such an inspiration to me now, as is Sophie Scholl, as are so many of these other amazing I remember, women we we'll um, talk about.
0: we got an email from, I think it was Madison, sent us an email about how she didn't know who Claudette Col- Colvin was and yeah. named her car Claudette. <laughs> Wait, I don't remember that yes, at all. Yes, in the first email she sent us, she said that she didn't know who Claudette Colvin was, and she got a new car and named her car Claudette. Yes, and it totally- Auntie Claudie. Auntie Claudi, and it totally, like, warmed my heart. So, with that said, like, if, if you guys have any people who you want us to talk about, who you want yes. us to research please send them to us we will do these
1: all the time I love it
0: finding forgotten feminists or people who like maybe did something really amazing and brave and powerful who we don't talk about every single day yeah. I think is or super important or you've
1: always heard of and want to know more about because yeah, for me I've heard too. about Gloria Steinem since I was little
0: but don't know a lot about her Same. I know a
1: little bit but not a lot like yeah. it's one of those things where you kind of have to be pushed into a situation to learn more about someone yeah. sometimes like yeah. in your day to day life you, you're you like like I screenshotted so. Show, oh, I got to read more about her, and then I get caught up with life. And oh, yeah, happen. I
0: save things on Facebook all the time when I see like a, a profile on someone I want to read about, and I, I don't, not that I forget, but it's just like there are so many things to look at that I don't always go deep dive into stuff. Which yeah. same with this. I mean, I, I knew I'd known about the White Rose, I knew about Sophie Show, and read a little bit about her. But when we do these episodes, we're kind of forced to do like a deep dive, yeah, into like what they're I'm about, talking
1: like third page of. Google. Google people. Yeah,
0: listen, <laughs> listen. My Google notes are like five pages deep, y'all. Like yeah. come on. Um so yeah, definitely if you have stories that you want us to tell, email us at neighborhoodfeminist at gmail.com. Also send us your sister solidarity stories. We've been getting more of those and we love that. Love them. Um you can find us on Instagram at angry neighborhood feminist. Definitely follow us there and send us your DMs. Yeah. Where we always read the DMs. We Always
1: if you want to stalk us personally don't to- legit stalk totally us. totally fine but like my Instagram handle is she's mad again all one word and
0: Keegan. and mine is winfield on Instagram and I am on Twitter at Keegan.Win. follow me because I have like 20 followers and I I, I realize I'm never on there but maybe I would be if <laughs>
1: Yeah if you were giving me more followers We are also on Twitter as a podcast, which is Yamp, Y A N F podcast, and again, we want to become more active in Twitter. It's really not our forte. It's not something that we really like. I did but share
0: something. I shared two things yesterday regarding the um, Santa Fe High School shooting, yes. which um, we will touch on very soon. Yeah, we're going to touch on that in our Stay what's tuned in the news for the next episode in our what's in the news segment. But I guess this is a good opportunity to say. Um, what do we say? Because it's it's something that's it, what is left there's to, nothing say? Left to there's, say. There's there's nothing, there's nothing left, left, to, left say, to say really. But that our hearts go out to the people who were affected by that shooting,
1: and we are going to do everything in our power to make a change.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's it. That's it. It's yeah. just like we're going to continue to um, make our voices heard in whatever way that we can to try and pass legislation to hopefully help prevent this from happening in the future
1: guys don't be afraid to look at the ugly stuff that's the thing is that sometimes i need a break and i I can't like last night when i got home from work i couldn't read any more articles about it i had to kind of push it aside but don't be afraid to look at the ugly stuff i know it's hard but push through look at the ugly stuff and do what you can to try to make it better i know it's hard and we are here for you yeah and everyone everyone
0: needs mental health breaks but here's the thing take a minute take a breather Collect yourself and get back in the fight because there is there's, there's <laughs> because we have to we have because there is no place for complacency in in this administration or really in this world that we're, we're dealing with right now. It's an ugly world in a lot of ways, but there are. Just like Sophie Scholl, like, there are good people out there.
1: And nothing is going to change without those people. Right. And
0: and all of us need to be kind of, like, putting our voices together and, and pushing being for on change. on the right side of history. That's right. That's right.
1: We don't, you know, let's go down in history as the Sophie Scholls. Let's right. not go down in history as the people that just stood idly by. Right. You know, it, it is our time to make a difference. And,
0: you know, kind of on the same lines as that, they were fighting for a better Germany. And I think... For us here in America, I know we have listeners who are not, um, American listeners, but for us here in America, I think we are fighting for, for America. Like I, I love my country. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like I am a patriot to my country. I love my country and I want to protect it. And I want to it see is it hard to love, of course, but it's like anything else, you know, it's, it's like anything home. else. It's my home. And like, I want to protect it and I want to see it do better. And I yeah. want to see it fall on the right side of history and, um, as we have for years
1: in the past. And now it's suddenly like it is not we are not seen as the greatest country in the world. And that is Donald Trump's whole thing. I mean, I could go so far into this. Right. But you know, we we need to be on the right side of history. We need to keep fighting for that even if we right. are not and even if we are not on the right side of history, we let can us know be known we did individually write. and yeah. know that we did right. Yeah.
0: That that's important. So and that's
1: why you guys are so amazing and yeah. that's why we feel so supported. Um we we love you guys so much. Um, yes, I it feels dumb even promoting our podcast after all of that kind of stuff. <laughs> I, it just feels so insignificant. But if you if you love us, you know, review us on iTunes, rate us, listen on Radio Public, whatever.
0: Again, I, I it just feels so trivial to talk. I about. I mean, it does. But here's the thing, like. For us to do what we do, uh, we need need you. (laughs) Yeah,
1: we do. We really do need you guys, and that's why... I mean, that's not the only reason that we love and support you guys, but your love and support for us... It means a lot to us. It means so much to us. Like, I
0: really cannot stress that enough,
1: and... Thank you for listening to our stories today. Thank you for tuning in with Hope us. Hope you learned twice a little a something.
0: Let us know if it affected you in any way. Yes,
1: please always reach out to us with anything. And I'm sure this episode is starting to get to our our mark.
0: So, yes.
1: oh yeah. Okay, so guys, with that, we encourage you to,
0: to Ray John. Bye.
1: Love you. What Sophie said really reminds me of Anne Frank in which I believe is one of is her last diary entry Uh if not one of them is a quote that says it's difficult in times like these ideals dreams and cherished hopes rise within us only to be crushed by grim reality it's a wonder I haven't abandoned all my ideals they seem so absurd and impractical yet I cling to them because I still believe in spite of everything that people are truly good at
0: heart